welcome back to Theory for Turntables, the TFT podcast. I'm Ryan. That's Matt. Hey, Matt. Woohoo. The time is getting closer. A woohoo. Time to be a ghost. <laughs> is that a reference to the Trump administration? <laughs> I don't know. But, but, but Ryan, uh, what if I'm a mermaid in these jeans of yours with her name still on it? <laughs> Oh man, I was I was eagerly awaiting which uh, which quote you would choose, uh, and I'm sure you had so many options, and you could uh, dial them in all by heart. I mean, um, yeah, Ryan, let's uh, let's uh, let's just go. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, Ryan, I've been everybody else's girl. Maybe someday I'll be my own. Ryan, with these nine inch nails and little fascist panties tucked inside the heart of every nice girl. Ryan. Sleeping Beauty trips me with a frown. Ryan, look, I'm standing naked before you. Don't you want more than my sex? Matt, I, I've just been silent all these years with, reg- <laughs> with respect to Tori Amos. Um, and so we are discussing, uh, and I think you may, you listeners may have figured this out because we are dis- uh, we are back uh, in history. We're back to 1992, and we are discussing Tori Amos's uh, solo debut album or debut solo album, I guess one should say, um, "Little Earthquakes," uh, and and which is celebrating its uh, 25th anniversary um, in this year. Uh, in in 2017, um, and about this week, uh, it's celebrating the 25th anniversary of its UK release, which was uh, January 6, 92. Um, and then a little later in the year, uh, the the anniversary of the um, US release rolls around. Um, and so this is a this is a good one um, uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, it's a I think a major album in terms of um, of, of establishing Tori Amos uh, as an artist um, in terms of um, of genre and kind of how it interacts with and doesn't interact with a lot of what else was going on uh, in the 90s. I mean as you'll recall um, where we where we left off 1991 I believe the last few episodes covered um, um, covered the other mo- some of the monumental albums of ninety uh, one that turned twenty five uh, with the last kind of one two punch being Nirvana's Nevermind and Michael Jackson's Dangerous <laughs> and so now we are in nineteen ninety two um, and it's uh, and and we have Tori and her piano um, and 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 I think that uh, it both. Uh, it both fits and doesn't fit with with uh, where we are, and and I think that both those uh, those overlaps and those tensions uh, are are what's going to be really interesting about this album. And then I think as listeners, as you know, um, Matt is a uh, w- would it, would it be fair to say extreme Tori Amos fanboy. I mean, it's it, I, I would not necessarily want to claim that. It's like it's like everything else on the internet. You can well, always if, find... if I if I put it on you, will you shrug it off or no, will no, you no. wear? <laughs> no, I'll wear. I mean, I'll 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 wear it with pride but i feel like i i feel like i i want to defer to like some of the the internet fandom in terms of like really uh really extreme stuff because i you know i i have approached uh the altar but never never i suppose properly worshipped by like trading set lists online or 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 things like this she has a she has a, a following that's that's akin to the following of like the dead or something like that where everything she does is sort of endlessly debated online and i think it's because she's she, people form this like very personal uh like like with uh, as with the savior people approach a very very personal relationship with Tori Amos. Uh, and, um, you know, and that, that sort of begins, it sort of begins here. It's interesting to me because we, t- we talked about a, um, a, the, the most recent uh, Tori Amos record, Unrepentant Geraldine's in a contemporary quarter when it was at the time that it, that it was released. And, and I think probably like all things considered a lesser album, though certainly a more mature one. Um, though what that means in her case, I think is, is unique and specific to her. Uh, but, um, but it's but this is kind of where this is sort of where it it begins and I, I i we were sort of pre-gaming a little bit and and something that you you suggested is i think true it's like it's difficult for me to separate at an analytical reading of this album from my own my own sort of personal experience so for the rest of the hour, I'm going to be reading verbatim from the journals that I kept uh, when I was 12, 13, 14 uh, in the first half of the 90s. And uh, so, Ryan, you can just go on mute and uh, and take a powder, and I will go, uh, uh, you know, and I, I, I will just uh, take it from here. 
Yeah, great. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, if you haven't yet read Matt's teenage journals and preteen journals, go ahead and give Matt's journals a read um, and uh, and then meet us back here for uh, for raw personal revelation time uh, after this word from our commercial sponsors. <laughs> Does he want nothing more than your sex? Nothing. That's all. That's all. (laughs) Well, then you should wear leather. That's right. So many Mm. things from the 90s are coming back, uh, are becoming cool again. You know, it's it's almost like there's going to be a a uh, reconvening of the Lilith Fair soon. Don't wear athleisure. Don't wear Kardashian or uh, Beyonce branded streetwear. Go back to the hair metal inspired leather. Um, but what if I like resist animal cruelty? <laughs> you can get vegan leather. They have that all over the Lilith Fair, uh, the Lilith Fair Crafts Village. Uh, any kind, any kind of leather, whether you want to kill the animal and ingest its soul into your own, or whether you just want to uh, appropriate a kind of biker chic without actually in- engaging in the the mechanized slaughter of sentient beings. Leather. It shows them that you're bad but a little sensitive underneath and we're back <laughs> i i was thinking about leather like and and how it's sort of not really a thing anymore right it's not sort of sexy wear in the in the same way that it in the same way that it used to be uh though though i'm sure i interrupted you i'm sure you have a, cre- a question I, I'm sorry. I, I don't know if i do i feel like i'm i i i should defer um well, uh, I, I, I actually have a serious question i have a non-trolly question right like the the we're we're Whoa, s- what is this what is 2017 and we're now not trolling each other no, i mean it's, it's sincerity not that, like, is new trolling yeah that's it this is this is how we uh this is how we offer resistance to the to the regime mm-hmm, right no um the the i mean i have a so i have a question like uh uh that's actually that's actually a little serious because i have a, i have a thesis about this album and i sort of wonder uh if you would agree with it but but my question is this um this this tori amos with its kind of baroque uh, pop stylings with its string sections, with its reliance on piano, with the almost complete absence uh, of of guitars, um, with its uh, uh, with its sort of feminine slant. Is this an alternative rock album? That was my question too. I almost unisoned it with you. Yeah. That was exa- that was exactly my question. Uh, I, I I I was as you as you ramped up. I was almost so confident that I. <laughs> wanted to try to line it up uh, and that we spoke the one true question uh, in unison. Um, I think I think the answer is a qualified yes. I think that this is an alternative to rock album. <laughs> um, and, and yet by being an alternative to rock, um, it's somehow it, it, it is um, it, it's able to 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 be whether kind of lumped in with all because of the alternativeness um that sociologically it was able to be kind of lumped in with what was happening uh in terms of uh the radio and in terms of mtv as being alternative because it's you know it's alternative to similar things but in different ways if that makes sense yeah right? that, that um, is yeah that's definitely true and and i think what you're saying about about the radio is not is non-trivial right because this is yeah. a point this is a point at which sort of um where mtv kind of took a turn away is it fair to say from from pop as a like as a mass phenomenon and and kind of started embracing different niche mm-hmm. uh sort of different niche uh uh kind of markets um yeah. including like alternative rock with this nirvana pearl jam nine inch mm-hmm. nails and so on and um and also hip hop in right. kind of in kind of a separate par- on on a separate parallel yeah. Uh, separate parallel track, and I actually remember my I, I remember my like hardcore like Soundgarden and Mudhoney and Dinosaur Junior listening uh, rock uh, friends just really being derisive about like MTV jams in a way that mm-hmm. probably revealed more about the about our 
uh, about our sort of uh, unsophisticated racism than it did about anything about the, the MTV jams. Um, but then the other thing was that all, there... all pop songs matter, Matt. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> but, then, but then, then there were also radio formats like the, the, uh, kind of a precursor to adult contemporary, but the kind of the alternative rock, um, or modern rock radio format emerged in the early 90s. In L.A., uh, the center of it was K-Rock 106.7, and I'm sure there was an analogous station in all the major markets. Um, that was uh, at K-Rock, also the home, by the way, of, of Loveline, that gave uh, Adam Carolla and uh, Dr. Drew their starts in professional media. So you're welcome, America, for uh, <laughs> for that. So that there, there is my point is that there's a commercial channel that's ready to consume this. So it is, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think it's a very strong misreading of, of the rock tradition. I think that it's, it's remarkable on it's on the merits, but it, it's commercial success. And the commercial success of subsequent Tori Amos albums is a little surprising given how provocative uh, and how confrontational it is in certain ways. And that, that I, and the fact that it, that she ended up being a, like a best selling, you know, a top selling, um, uh, sort of pop star, rock star, whatever on, you know, with albums that, that charted and things like this, this is, uh, on a major label, didn't get dropped by a major label through a career that embraced some very, very weird turns, you know, that this is, um, uh, this is sort of because there was a market, there was a commercial channel available to this music at the same time. Yeah, I think that that is right. I think the other thing that is is relevant um, as context, and I imagine mattered for the music press, um, and maybe it didn't matter at the time, and it's only only kind of part of the narrative in hindsight. But that there is, you know, a little bit of in terms of the re- rebellion, right? The, the, I think that one of the ways still that Tori Amos's record Little Earthquakes is able to be grouped with um, alternative is that there is a narrative of rebellion against pop, and it's a very kind of personal specific uh, narrative um kind of as that a lot of this album in its presentation and its style in some of its themes are a rebellion against um you know when i introduced this i described it as tori Amos's first solo album because uh there was a previous album um by her um what kind of synth pop band why can't tori read um my question i almost asked you the question why can't tori read (laughs) uh and if you uh well maybe we'll put an image in a link to the the cover art in um, or uh, or or you know Google image search us if you're if you're on your phone um, and it's the the Tori Amos that is presented on the cover of Why Can't Tori Read um, or is it is it Why Can't Why Can't Tori Read um, because it uh, the can't in, <laughs> uh, Why Can't comma Tori Read can't. it's about Tori Amos reading Kant no it's not um, because uh, on the cover uh, she has very um, what can only be described as 80s hair um, and it can only be described as 80s bustier. Yeah, she, uh, she has like a real beyond Thunderdrome kind of kind of look to her, right? Like, yeah, yeah, and then she has a very 1780s uh, saber uh, um, <laughs> kind of uh, uh, held behind her head um, almost as a, a – um, like a baseball bat. Um, and, uh, and, and so – and this was a – this album – which you know very much looks uh, at the time of its release um, was a, a was was a flop, right? And was not not successful. And she felt that she kind of had sold out some of her own kind of um, you know identity and and mer- in trying to make this work and going along with this. And so there is this kind of reclaiming of of voice and image and identity um, that is here that aligns with the spirit of um, of of what is happening in other alternative alternative musics at the time. And so even though a lot of the, um, and, and so this is an interesting thing. And we've talked about this a little bit in our, um, push through 1991, um, is that alternative is this residual category, right? It's this great, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Right. Um, and so it's this, uh, that there's this kind of, um, this, this alt rock coalition, um, that, that starts to be formed by kind of definition 
generation of opposition to whether it's pop or to the 80s um, and and to certain kinds. Right. And and, um, and as as Breitbart is to the alt right. So Spin Magazine was to the alt rock. Right. That like, you know, that there were new there were sort of new media outlets covering this. There was a lot of, you know, it got it got. uh, And and I think you're right that like just because they were kind of grouped together commercially, um, uh, and by virtue of being non-mainstream, even if the non-mainstreamness was expressed in different ways, we kind of have to think of these as a genre because they were sort of lumped together. They were put together on bills. They were played together on the radio and on MTV. You know, the the back to back and stuff. That that um, um yeah. Yeah, that 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 this commercial you can't sort of ignore uh, this commercial category at the same time. But I I sort of want to take it I, I want to take it further. Like yeah. I think I think this record has more in common with Nevermind than it has with Indigo Girls or Rites of Passage or other, or mm. or Fumbling Towards Ecstasy or Jules first album Pieces of You or you know what I mean. A lot of yeah, a lot of so sort uh, of, then and the, then the female singer songwriter albums. Basically. Yeah, then the. Yeah, exactly. I think, I mean, to a certain extent, I think uh, Tori Amos is sui generis, but like, but, but I think she belongs in, I, I, I position her, like my construction on her is that she is an interpreter and a strong misreader of the rock and roll tradition, um, mm-hmm. rather than, you know, rather than being a, uh, uh, rather than being a participant in the sort of folk, f- mm. pop folk, folk rock mm. tradition, where I see the Indigo Girls as being sort of very definitely, uh, very definitely situated, right? So that well, the, and the, yeah. the piano is vital here, right? Um, the, the piano seems absolutely vital to to kind of understanding, uh, like uh, how where we place and how we understand where Amos, right? Yeah, it, it. I mean, it is in like the the piano stands in a complicated relationship to the history of rock uh you know uh in the same way kind of in the same way that 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 Tori Amos does there's sort of multiple appropriations and multiple kind of uh, uh refractions and reinterpretations um that happen and that that's what makes this like i i still listen to this record in my just like in my day-to-day life it's it's one of those kind of statements to me that are that that is uh, uh, inexhaustible to to reflection and meditation. Uh, you know, I, I feel like it, you can kind of go back to this well um, a lot, and I think that's because of the the sort of complexity, uh, the complexity in the. Um, in the individual in the the kind of the individual relationship to the tradition and the kind of the 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 misreading uh, of the tradition. So, like as your appreciation of the tradition deepens, your appreciation of this particular spin uh, on it will will deepen concomitant with with that. But one particular, I mean, one particular thing. Not to get too specific too quickly, but like one particular thing that that I want to point out is that folk rock is connected to a legacy of social protest and is connected to a legacy of kind of community music right mm-hmm. um and uh, you know whether it's like town bands or whether it's like these songs were passed down or something something like that um and and uh, through the 60s it's uh, it's connected to sort of or i guess through like the dust bowl and and so on is connected to social protest um to a, a kind of class consciousness and to a kind of uh, uh, a recognition of oneself as a part of a class. Um, in in the Tori Amos mode, it, the I think there are class di- there are sort of group related dynamics. There is sort of identification with various kinds of groups. Like like Tori Amos, for example, was was super big in the gay community um, mm-hmm. before you know before she had kind of crossover success. But she she had this sort of niche. Um, niche success and had a very dedicated uh, uh, gay following um, that that like her so there is this recognition um, and identification with sort of with groups, but her uh, technique is a um, is a kind of turning inward, right? Is like an, mm-hmm. an an examination of the the sort of individual psychologies or of like different personas or of different um, you know uh, of different uh, aspects of this. And this would th- this like takes various forms over 
uh, over the course of her career. Her covers album is called Strange Little Girls, and it's a whole bunch of of covers, including like Tom Waits, Depeche Mode, Eminem, uh, all songs by men about women. And hmm. she and she covers them. Her uh, I th- uh, soon after that came a record called American Doll Posse, where it's not like uh, a single pop persona. She has like five, and they each have a different section of the album. And when she performed it on tour, uh, I saw I saw the tour that followed the release of this album. She would like change in the wings and come on with different outfits and wigs, like huh. as, as these different characters to do. And so this is like Ziggy Stardust or Sasha Fierce or whatever, but just like the multi multiplicity of these the number it was almost more like a weird al concert i actually saw <laughs> i saw weird al in the same venue of, in uh, wallingford connecticut uh and uh it, it was not dissimilar that he had these quick change booths in the wings and he would go off and come on in a different getup for uh you know for each song that he uh, uh for each song that 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 he performed. And so this, there's this idea of kind of, uh, of not reducing, but of kind of condensing it in an individual or in an individual sense of psychology uh, in an individual psychology. And the struggle, the struggle is kind of internal uh, rather than being, rather than being a kind of railing, uh, you know, a kind of railing against the world. And that's, um, you know, and and that's. I mean, uh, last week we talked about about run the jewels, and their their struggle is against the world, right? Their struggle is against a system of oppression, against a, a society sort of broadly conceived, and and it's not. There is no, there is no society in in Tori Amos. There are individuals who are representations of society. There are parts of the self that have internalized the norms of society, mm-hmm. but but there's no. Uh, 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 th- there are men, but there's no the man, you know, and that's um, I I think that's a, a sort of unique thing that kind of sets her apart from from her contemporaries who are demographically similar uh, in in sex and age and and uh, you know uh, maybe um, <laughs> maybe marketing. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely right, and it, it is interesting because another question <laughs> that I thought of asking and something that I um, talked about a little bit while listening to this record with uh, TFT punk rock correspondent Rachel D um, was uh, is uh, is uh, Little Earthquakes a feminist album? Uh, um, and and I think that, that the, the, the difficulty of that question um, is, it speaks to exactly what uh, of answering that question speaks to what this is in that there is on one hand these perspectives and these personal perspectives are absolutely the, the Informed by gender and informed by the kind of lived experience of a social construction of gender, right. um, and yet it, it it is still there is not a. <sighs> It's this interesting thing, right? That there is not a program of social change uh, advanced, and yet in talking, in speaking honestly and directly and bluntly from that perspective, it itself has a that by saying it aloud um, and forcing it to be said and heard, um, that itself is a program of change, right? Yeah. Um, and, and 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 so that it's this interesting. Um, it, it it is it's uh it becomes what it is right um and uh that by even even without saying you know this is my feminist social change album um it it absolutely produces that um by the um by by virtue of the things that it it, it makes you confront, um, and I think that to connect back to um, one other an earlier thread about um, understanding uh, Tori Amos as a misreading of the rock tradition rather than as a, in a kind of folk tradition. Um, I think the another piece there um, that has to do with gender and performance um, is, and and I think you can speak a bit more to this, Matt, because um, you've seen her live more than one time. Um, is the way in which she plays the piano live? I mean, I think there's also the musical. Um, of playing the piano but um again we'll either put some of these images in or i leave you to google search um google search uh, google image search tori amos playing piano um and you will see many images of um of there's a few things a few patterns that you'll see and these are photos from um across uh, her career but often there are two keyboards um kind of positioned in uh, two keyboards running in parallel like train tracks and she is positioned between them um and in many of these photos 
goes. Um, she is uh, as if being torn asunder, right, by uh, by two uh, two horses running in op- opposite directions, um, playing both keyboards, uh, and is often standing or lunging uh, or playing dynamically. Um, and I'll say uh, as an, an interesting um, as two other pieces of comparison, uh, Google image search Jerry Lee Lewis playing piano, um, and then also Carol King playing piano. Uh, and uh, tell me which one of those uh, uh, Tori Amos playing piano looks more like. And to me, it looks a lot more like Jerry Lee Lewis playing the piano than like Carol King playing the piano. And I, well, I think there is, and we may talk about kind of patterns of influence and connection um, to Carol King. I think that in that, in the performative style, um, I think that there's some of this um, bit of both this misreading of rock tr- tradition um, and some of what we're talking about uh, with this kind of the 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 personal and the kind of performance of the personal uh, of the kind of individual in society. So there's there's a problem intrinsic to playing piano live uh, in a rock and roll setting, which is that the piano goes sideways. Right. Mm -hmm. You can't face the audience uh, Mm -hmm. at the same. You can't face the audience and have the piano go sideways. So your choices are either to put the nine feet of the piano in front of you, blocking your body so that your so that your eyes can be directed out at the audience or uh, look at the side of the theater, look at the side of the stage rather than looking out, looking Mm. out to the audience. Right. So early on. So I saw her first in 96 or seven um, in a theater tour. Uh, that uh, that uh, was just piano, and the the concert was solo piano, with the exception of the two singles from Under the Pink, uh, uh, Cornflake Girl, and God, which were performed with backing tracks to fulfill a like a uh, when you're a big star like that, you you have a contractual obligation that you that with to the promoter to perform the back to perform the singles as they are on the album, so that the people feel like they get their money's worth, and so um so. So with that, she had this almost runner's stretch type lunge uh, yeah. that that she was doing to the single p- to the single keyboard um, that was on uh, to the single keyboard that was on stage, and and she was it, it was much remarked upon that she was sort of straddling the piano bench or the stool that she was sitting on uh, as though she were grinding her crotch against it, right? And that like this uh, that oh she's she's so sexual she's so aggressive with her sexuality, but like uh, as Axl Rose is to the microphone stand, so is Tori Amos to the piano bench, right? Like as Steven Tyler is to the microphone stand, uh, so is Tori Amos to the to the piano bench i i'd also say that like piano requires a more complete commitment of your body to the activity than does uh than does guitar playing so there is this kind of athletic thing so it was the next album it was after the two pianos came in after um uh the next album which was boys for pele where there started to be other keyboard instruments synthesizers harpsichords a harmonium organ and things like this and they were uh they were they were kind of tra- trucked in on these stands and that's when the two uh the two hmm. left left hand on one right hand on the other um with the the microphone in the middle the the kind of train tracks thing that that you described as though she's she's suspended like the the Leonardo da Vinci uh <laughs> you know illustration of man right like um but de- or the the like the Westworld logo uh you know between between those two things and it's actually right, so it's the Vitruvian piano woman right yeah <laughs> exactly um it's quite a feat it's it's quite a feat of virtuosity to do uh those kind of contrapuntal lines at the same you know at this uh, at the same time but like this this is the thing like she's uh you know she was trained at the peabody conservatory she's like a a a classical piano she's like an um excellent technician uh of the piano and is a virtuoso of the of the piano in the way that like hendrix is a virtuoso of the guitar or or um you know, uh, or Eric Clapton or so, or you're just, you know, insert your guitar God, uh, whoever they are, uh, here. And, uh, you know, and this is a, this is an, uh, another aspect that, that, that plays into it. But I think that like the, the, the strong, this sort of strong performance of aggressive sexuality is like, is, is remarkable or the kind of the, the kind of physicality, um, you know, uh, is, 
is notable mostly because she's a woman, because if it were Mick Jagger, like, right. you know, um, it, it's sort of expected. And, and also for what it's worth, like she was formed, she came of age in hair metal, Los Angeles, right? right. Like she came of age and she was living in LA by that point. Her record deal was in LA, the, the, you know, why can't Tori read in the eighties, this was all LA and it was, um, you know those those sunset strip bands that that those hair hair metal bands that the 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 guns and roses is and so on um that that uh that she was seeing uh and there's some like for, in in one of her live albums one that was recorded in Royce Hall god i am a super fan huh uh yeah. <laughs> In, hey, like I said, that's the most personal revelation of the <laughs> um, there, There's some patter where she talks about she covers uh, "Living on a uh, Prayer" um, live in Los Angeles uh, on the campus of UCLA, and she talks about hair, uh, hair metal, and men, men in their hair, their big hair, you know. Uh, and this is like this is the milieu that she she came up in. So to a certain extent, it's it's kind of not not surprising, um, and then not surprising the kind of the the. Phys- physical commitment to the piano because she is both she she is i think jerry lee lewis is a great uh um i think jerry lee lewis is a great comparison but but like another way of putting it is that she is both mick jagger and keith richards in one uh Mm -hmm. you know for her own uh uh for her own thing uh sorry i feel like i'm i'm going off we should probably talk about the album a little huh no, but I think I think that this is it's it's relevant. It's on this um, sense of I mean, with any first album of a historical stretch, there is um, some necessary context um, setting, and I think that there is something here where and and this may or may not be a pivot into specific songs, but that as I listen to this, this is both of its, it feels both of its time and also timeless. Right. Um, and, and I think in part because it is, it, it is, um, as much as it overlaps with some genre descriptors, it kind of is its own thing, both, uh, in terms of what kind of came before and even what gets lumped with, um, and even in her own catalog. Um, and, and we don't necessarily need to go into the, the whole, um, you know, evolution of, of her discography. Oh, you want, um, you want, you want a, a, a disquisition on the evolution of her discography? <laughs> I'm happy to, I'm happy I, to provide. I th- I think we did that a little bit in the Unrepentant Geraldine's uh, uh, episode, um, but I think we, we we could do it all all again. But I think let's. I mean, this is the chance, like you say, to go into some of the um, specific songs, and I, I think that as we see what's kind of going on lyrically, or um, kind of recall pieces that are of what's um, happening musically, um, we, we may come back to some of the more broad um, the the more broad concerns. Um, I mean, are there songs where for you um, would you like to start in terms of uh, deeper dives uh, of, of songs. Well, that I, first by saying that if you're listening to this on any of the streaming services, you're likely uh, listening to the reissue from last year. Um, that was a kind of an anniversary, not exactly an anniversary, but but was kind of a a, um, a commemorative uh, remastering of the of of the whole record. Um, the the first two, the, not too much history, but the first two records were produced by. Uh, her um, partner in in uh, record making and in romance, uh, uh, whose name is Eric Ross, and um, he uh, uh, they the that relationship fell apart uh, before Boys for Pele, and uh, her records have been self produced from that point on. Um, her the the man she eventually married uh, was not a producer but an engineer. Right, uh, a sound engineer, and does all of her all of her recording, and and there's actually like it's sort of notable how good uh, from from a technical point of view um, her recent records sound, Unrepentant Geraldine's uh, being one of them, um, and how good the piano sounds, like how uh, how fantastic the quality of the recording is. That's not true initially of hmm. uh, of Little Earthquakes, and and as I was as I was listening to it, I was a little taken aback because like the the um uh the remaster kind of gives a lot of high end gives a lot of like crystalline fidelity um to you know the kind of the upper frequencies uh it remixes uh certain of the elements and i i sort of this was not totally the record that i remembered um Hmm. and then I, i i went back to my cd collection and listened to the uh 
uh, listened to the original, which sounded a little more stripped down and a little more alternative rocky, um, hmm. you know, a little more post-punk and, and a little less kind of dream pop, um, you know, or Baroque pop, a little less Sufjan Stevens. And, and that is a, uh, I, I don't know, that's a, um, uh, uh, I don't know. That's an interesting, I mean, it's an, in, it's an interesting thing. I don't know. Do, do your, your mileage may vary, I guess, depending on your ears and your, your listening equipment. But if you can get, get a hold of the old one, uh, I, you know, you could do worse than, than spending two hours or I guess an hour 45 or so listening to, uh, listening to the tracks, um, listening to the tracks back to back. So, so the, um, the, the I guess Silent All These Years was the first uh yeah. was the first uh single on this and it became sort of an anthem uh because it was it became the kind of the motto of her uh, of her charity, Rain, which is a uh, uh sexual assault uh focused uh charity that does um advocacy and also uh like a hotline kind of like uh crisis crisis work. Um but the uh this is the this is the um you know this is the one where that the sort of famous line uh comes from like uh sometimes i hear my voice and it's been here silent all these years and so the idea that like uh the idea this is like a shakespearean idea of sort of self overhearing kind of hearing your own voice or hearing your own self as though by surprise and having a realization about something that you didn't arrive at deductively but that kind of snuck up on you through this phenomenon of self overhearing hearing your own communication as a uh, to yourself as though uh, it were intended for someone else. Yeah. Uh, I think for me, what, I mean, this is one that always jumps out at me too. Um, every time I, I listen to this album, I think one of the, I mean, uh, we can see where to dive in. There's something about the, um, the, the conversational tone um, of the verses. I think the interplay between the verses and the chorus are um, really interesting. Um <coughs> Because I think that uh, there's something um, in the verses that is kind of the kind of, of speaking that you may do that is more conversational um, and it's still communicative, but it's less direct and it's less of that kind of voice that is heard, right? And so the, actually the first line, right, of like, excuse me, but I, can I be you for a while? There's something about the kind of excuse me, which is like the language of kind of polite outward conversation that is not necessarily one's own uh, voice. Um, and then there's also, the, I think that there is, um, and I, I, I'd love to kind of think about parsing it, but the, uh, the second verse uh, and the kind of the the tone and kind of I think there's like some kind of humor in. So you found a girl who thinks really deep thoughts. What's so amazing about really deep thoughts? Boy, you best pray that I bleed real soon. How's that thought for you? Um, and I guess that, that that I think that that is like almost I don't know. I I, I almost see this. Um, as an in interplay with the chorus um, of you know kind of again these kinds of um, interplay between kind of more kind of empty conversation and then a breaking through of this kind of voice and this kind of um, you know the the this this kind of self overheard voice because there's there's just I don't know there's something about the the tone that is for me uh, of those of the of the verses that is like a hook into the song and I think into a lot of this album where like i just i i find it so very cool and so very interesting right uh, uh and so i don't know i don't know how do you how you read those lines or having have engaged with them i mean the first the first the first um verse i i read is being spoken to an interlocutor uh mm. and and being almost like uh there's like a cry for help in the most yeah. uh in the most po- uh, kind of subtle possible way in in the way because it's about you know it's about uh, a bad or abusive relationship it's yeah. about you know it's about some some kind of some kind of situation where the the uh, the kind of the narrator of the song feels belittled or, and I say the narrator of the song and not, not Tori Amos, because she, I, I think that there is like a lot of, there's a lot of kind of dramatic. I, I think a lot of these are dramatic monologues, um, uh, that, that like, uh, uh, I got something to say, but nothing comes, uh, I know what you think of me. You never shut up. Like the, the these are almost like uh, can I can I be you for a while? My dog won't bite if you sit real still. 
um, the the idea that like there's a threat uh, and yet you can mitigate the threat by kind of making yourself small and unobtrusive. You know, um, yeah. it's sort of des- it's sort of describing this dynamic. And then the second uh, the second verse is uh, the second verse is kind of spoken in the context. Um, in in uh, the context of the the uh, of the relationship and the the idea that like um, uh, you know the idea that like there are these kind of breaks through of reality even in in a in a uh, thing like that like you you uh, the you know the that uh, you better hope I'm not pregnant right like is right. is a <laughs> is kind of a conversation stopper uh, even with someone whose whose tendency is to sort of uh, belittle uh, or criticize right like because uh, there's no. Um, it's 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 kind of relationship godwinning, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, de- yeah, definitely. Um, this wh- one other thing this song has is kind of the loud, soft, loud dynamic. Uh, a lot. Yeah. Of, uh, this happens a lot in Tori Amos songs, where there, it will, it, um, it will like get really loud for a second and then return to the thing. Like there's there's a bridge that really just the texture opens up. There are multiple vocal lines. The piano gets gets louder. The melody changes and things like this. And then it comes back to this. Um, uh, uh, it comes, you know, it comes back to this kind of very spare texture of just the just the piano playing the kind of like the piano exercise, dubba 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 dubba, yeah. uh, kind of figure and the um, you know, and the and the thing and it's so like they're kind of multiple sort of multiple levels of sublimation, right? Uh, multiple levels of sublimation going on probably through like multiple phases of, um. Uh, multiple multiple phases of her life and and uh it's a um you know i don't know it's as as close as a mission statement i think as you get to what this um uh to what this this record is about right unpack that a little more i mean in terms of the multiple levels of sublimation oh i uh, well, I, I think like if you think of and this is a, i can't take credit for this observation it's it was actually new to me uh, though i've known this song for for decades um from the the pitchfork review of the reissue uh that um that the 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 opening piano line uh, recalls a like a, a five finger exercise. Recalls like a, a piano mm. uh, a piano etude or something like that. Um, you know that that you would play over and over and over to strengthen your fingers and kind of get familiar with the piano. You'd play it up and down the keyboard in various keys and 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 mm. things like this and this uh, this sort of thing. And I sort of think of practicing piano as as a child's level of escape, right? Um, I think that like, uh, you know, sitting real, sitting real still or being in the kitchen, being saved by the garbage truck, um, something, something to say, but, but nothing comes or just a kind of patient listening, uh, that, that all of these things are sort of, um, that all of these things are sort of, uh, uh, modes of escape, right? They're, they're sort of, sort of modes of, of kind of taking, taking what that voice that's been silent is. They're modes of maintaining silence, right? And that, like, there are probably like a lot of, a lot of experiences, a lot of kind of, uh, and, and I think she's sort of speaking as a woman here and speaking about a feminine versus a masculine role, like traditional role, um, in addition to her own personal history with stuff. And that, like, uh, there are multiple strategies that are deployed throughout the course of of life and that they they um mm. that they that they all kind of coalesce in this song uh to a certain extent i mean it's it's really interesting in 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 unpacking it in that way what it actually to me connects with and i i hadn't previously made this connection um is to um dance music right uh from uh from the mountain goats the sunset tree right which is also about um a chronicle of surviving um an abusive relationship in this case uh a stepfather um and but that, that that's a case where right that um you know that there is a a parallel function between the you know, the practicing the piano the the piano and these other modes of being unseen or unheard um and um and and John Darnell's you know tiny record player on the uh, uh on the floor record player on the floor um and so it's kind of an interesting uh, parallelism um there and I, I think you're right that I mean it's it's interesting how kind of memory like there's both the kind of survival and the living through something um. 
and then kind of memory or flashback is is kind of here because you you have the sense of kind of um, rather than there be in these kind of dramatic monologues, rather than it being you know necessarily uh, you know, one story end to, uh, to end always, there are kind of these these flashes and and bits of kind of memory or trauma that are kind of unearthed um, and uh, and and kind of and and layered right um, in this in this way. And I think the function of the um, um, of the interplay between the music uh, and the and the lyrics uh, does does a lot of that work. So another another thing that comes up a lot um, in uh, uh, in Tori Amos, uh, what my favorite statement is of it is uh, the song "The Waitress" on uh, on Under the Pink, which begins "I want to kill this waitress," um, is about competition among among mm-hmm. women uh, or kind of a kind of caste system among women that is um, uh, sort of generated by a competition for for uh, uh, male attention or the or a system where sort of men make their attention uh, the currency which women have to trade um, and and precious things is a is a song that that gets into to that very deeply and also gets into that uh, gets into another um, aspect of Tori Amos, which is wh- another reason why I think she's had the the sort of um, uh, profound effect that she's had on so many people, which is that uh, she she was raised sort of devoutly Christian, or at least mm-hmm. by at least by devout christians and so that this this imagery this imagery of sin this imagery of jesus this imagery of, mm-hmm. kind of like like a male father god who uh it imbues authority into like the father and into men generally and into the father of the state and into the father uh you know um uh, sort of usually conceived as an as as a like as an individual and not as a shadowy conspiracy right or or as a class as an oppressing class um but like that this uh that kind of growing up under the yoke of this system of belief is something that that uh uh you know something that that comes up a lot um in uh, and so there's a there's a uh, and and kind of the the frisson that's that's created when you mix that system with a kind of individual experience of female sexuality. The song "Icicle" on "Under the Pink" describes uh, uh, describes being in a church, des- describes masturbating in a church and and achieving sexual climax while uh, a, like a prayer service or a, something like that is going on elsewhere in the church, and you can kind of hear it, which I guess is like an experience. That people growing up in a church uh, who have their adolescence in a church must have, um, but this here uh, in Precious Things, right? Um, it's you know sort of running out, running after boys, uh, getting the attention, getting the attention uh, of the boys, um, and in the bridge, uh, in the section that gets loud before it gets uh, before it gets soft again. Um, uh, no one cared to tell me where the pretty girls are. Those demigods with their nine-inch nails—a reference to the length of the uh, uh, the length of the uh, the nails that that um, Jesus was nailed to the cross with. Um, the idea being that the girls can like sort of nail you to the cross, can crucify you. Uh, mm. Uh, and and also a reference to Trent Reznor's band because they were friends and he appears on her next album. Um, and little fascist panties tucked inside the heart of every nice uh, every nice girl. So right there's the the pretty girls, the nice girls, the demigods, um, and then me, kind of akin to the cornflake girls and the raisin girls uh, in uh, on the uh, on the next album. And and this is a uh, you know this is a this is a this coalesces a lot of Tori Amos into one. Um, you know, into one uh, pretty coherent statement between uh, "so you can make me come" that doesn't make you Jesus exactly, and, and this bridge uh, and this bridge about the pretty girls, the demigods with their nine-inch nails and fascist panties, right? Um, this is a uh, uh, the, you know, and th- this is a, a huge crowd pleaser, and this is also like this is a bit of a headbanger, right? Like it's a it's kind of a thrash piano song mm. <laughs> a little bit, you know. 
Yeah, I, I mean, exactly. And that kind of gets back to this being in the rock tradition, right? That, I mean, I think there's a number of those things um, that, uh, and we're talking, and this is, I think, part of where it kind of connects back to the genre considerations, right? That, like, I mean, beyond the kind of um, allusion to the multiple meanings of Nine Inch Nails, right? That that these kind of having a complicated um, relationship uh, with, with, sex, with sex and religion uh, makes this an alternative rock album, right? Uh, among... Anything else, right? Uh, and 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 the fact that 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 um, that uh, parallels um, the music, right? And that that uh, and and the thrash the the thrashing of the piano um, is it, it puts us in line, um, even if it's pianos rather than guitars. Um, that uh, that it, it does that work. Um, you know, I think that though interesting. One of the songs for me that I'm always drawn to has a very different, uh, a, a, a very different musical tone um, than this and uh, and and then Silent All These Years. Uh, uh, but the one that always jumps out at me uh, is Happy Phantom, and I, is the one that I that I quoted uh, uh, in the beginning. Um, and there is something about it uh, that I think for me. It is. I mean, it's just even. It's there in the name, right? That uh, uh, the 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 um, the intentional um, tension between happiness and death, right? Um, and uh, and 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 that that's echoed um, in the kind of manifest content of the song and the the tone, right? This is one of the more kind of. Um, I mean, it's it's the the sound of the. the I would describe it as jaunty, right? Um, and uh, and and I and uh, and and yet, uh, you know, that it is uh, right that the um, right as the chorus again to, to 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 requote it. Right, the time is getting closer. Time to be a ghost. Every day we're getting closer. The sun is getting dim. We will pay for who we've been. Um, and and that there is this kind of uh, it's it's like an interesting kind of um, fast forward through the stages of death and dying, like, <laughs> right? It's 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 premature acceptance, right? Um, and uh, and it's I, I see that a lot in um, you know both in uh, in the second verse in Judy Garland um, uh, taking Buddha by the hand, uh, and then Confucius does his crossword with a pen, right? That this sense of peace and confidence of of not having to worry about are you living your life the right way uh and and are there going to mistakes that you have to correct um but the having this kind of living with um with kind of radical acceptance um is is there's just something about uh and and so that kind of whether it's confidence or acceptance or kind of um you know this this kind of 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 strength is there in having this kind of kind of upbeat song about death right uh and and i don't know for me it always um it, it that that's another one um that always grabs me on every um on every listen yeah it's well it it also sticks out i mean it sticks out as a rock song because it's a it's kind of a bluesy or stride piano kind of song <laughs> yeah. rather than being you know with this walking bass line and with this yeah. kind of like yeah. uh clearly very fun interplay between the left and the right hand on the on the piano i th- to to me the the like the jauntiness of this song encodes a very bitter irony um Mm -hmm. like the the idea is that it would take death in order to be happy right Mm -hmm. that that there there is sort of no happiness on earth because like the the things that the things that she kind of talks about like chasing nuns um the atrocities of school wearing my naughties like a jewel it's almost like it would take being a ghost right being incorporeal being disembodied in order to kind of be fully myself because there's no kind of mode of being an embodied woman and being sort of being fully uh being fully yourself um well it's right so if you're if you are not a um you know this just connects directly back to precious things right that so if you you are not one of these, um, you know, the pretty girls, the nice girls with the nine inch nails and the fascist panties. Um, then your only option is to be a ghost, right? Um, and um, and so it's like uh, there. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's every, like you get. It's every, like you every, get... every every happy phantom is the same, but each unhappy human <laughs> is, <laughs> is happy in their own way, right? <laughs> that's uh, yeah. I mean, that's that's excellent. There's also there's this kind of Cartesian split to it. You either 
get you either get body or spirit, right? Like either body or mind. You get pretty girl or happy phantom, but you kind of there's no um or the system doesn't allow for uh, for modeling these, these, um, sort of for these kinds of things, uh, uh, these kinds of things together. Um, the, the, the existence of the song though is a, you know, it, it sort of refutes that is kind of a defiant, um, right. defiant thing about it. Right. And like the, and this, like the fact that it's, it's kind of a, it's a more bluesy or it's a little more like, this is what you can do on the piano. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the sort of the piano has many voices and this is one, uh, um, this, this one, um, uh, this, uh, you know, this one. And then the, the, like there's strings in this, uh, uh, there's strings in this arrangement. Um, you know, it's, it's really good. And then this, this kind of opens up to another thing that will be, uh, more fully developed later in her career, which is the kind of the goofy, the goofy aspect of Tori Amos, right? right. Like Ju- Judy Garland taking Buddha by the hand, or they say Confucius does his crossword with a pen, which is both, uh, which is great. Uh, which is great shade throwing, I think, right? Like, like they say Confucius, that arrogant bastard does his crossword, <laughs> um, does his crossword, uh, with a pen and that, that, that this, like, this is a, because a lot of rock is very self-serious. Like this, yeah. this is, this is an aspect of, of Tori Amos that, that sort of causes consternation. If you have, uh, if you have insecurity, right? Like, um, <laughs> yeah. like, because I, you know, a lot of the solemnity of rock is, is sort of a response to, to insecurity and the idea that, that fun is not artistically serious or that it sort of undercuts your status, uh, somehow. And one of, I, I think one of the reasons why Tori Amos is a strong, is a strong artist is that even in, in the face of that, um, she, she is kind of her goofy self, uh, even in, in the ways that are not, not necessarily as easily, easily packageable. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I, I think that that is, um, absolutely. I think that's part of why I gravitate to this album is that, or to this song, um, is because on this album, it's one of the strongest, uh, pieces of that. Um, I mean, it's kind of there in, um, what we were talking about in, um, some of the tone and phraseology in, um, silent all these years, right. But that by being, like funny or snarky or defiant um that this is also part of being serious or heartbroken um or 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 wounded um and that um and by being those things that's where you get at a for realness right uh and you you kind of um and and by kind of um including these multiple perspectives uh and these uh multiple dramatic uh, monologues or monologues right some of which are dramatic some of which are kind of comedic or defiant um that then you get at this um this piece that is both kind of a part of exactly what um connects to listeners um and then both right that that is getting back to circling all the way back to our first topic right that on the one hand it is a rebellion against elements of 80s pop and this kind of these you know all of the rough edges being being um, sanded off of of certain uh, of the height of '80s pop, um, but then it is also a rebellion against the uh, all rough edges all the time of uh, of alternative and all of the scowl or downcastness um, and and so on. And so that there is a it's in you know that this is carving out an alternative within the alternative, um, and and I think that it creates um, space. For I mean, it is it is striking that as much as the, uh, as uh, some of the kind of female songwriter movement um, was became its own thing, and you know, Lilith Fair is, is, was its own scene, and and the variety of kind of female singer songwriter scenes um, existed kind of in their own bubble. Um, it also still is you know never totally partitioned off from alternative, and and you ended up throughout the '90s um, and throughout some of the I think the path dependent effects of Little Earthquakes um, had the kind of of these um this type of um kind of female centric rock or folk or singer songwriter um, music kind of existing within the alternative 
space. Um, and and I think that this what is uh, accomplished on this album um, does a lot of that. And and again, the kind of inclusion of songs like Happy Phantom are um, are a a big uh, are a big piece of that. Um, and so I think that that's interesting. Uh, any any more that you want to hit um, before before we before we wrap? I mean, I, 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 other than all of them, <laughs> uh, all of them. I mean, it's yeah, it's uh, it's difficult. It's sort of difficult to to pick your favorite child, isn't it? I mean, it's. Um, I th- I think we've hit a lot of the. Uh, I think we've hit a lot of the 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 major themes. Um, it, it's, uh, you know, um, it, I, I guess we, we would sort of be remiss if we didn't talk about me and a gun. That was, this was, this was something, uh, where historically she sort of stuck to her guns because I think the record executive, uh, uh, input from this was take this vocal and put like, put a, you know, cacophonous guitar driven soundscape or something like that, uh, behind it. Like do, do something with it to kind of underline, italicize, highlight, um, you know, uh, uh, boldface, uh, the message. And, and this was one where she, I, I think this was sort of one where she really, uh, 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 was determined not to let them, uh, not to let them, uh, mess, mess up, uh, mess it up. And it's a little, uh, you know, it's a little, uh, it's difficult to listen to, honestly. And she, she, for a long time was performing it live at every concert, uh, for, I mean, for years and decades. I'm, I'm not sure if that's, if that's still the case, if she's kind of let go of that or if, if, um, uh, if if it's still a part of of every concert, she like everyone else now posts set lists online. I think she like Instagrams them. So so it it would be uh, it would be easy enough to um, it would be easy enough to fact check. But the the you know I don't know the the thing about it is that like um, the the like the. Uh, it sort of goes, it's like a multiple lens perspective. Like it, it's narrated from the point of view of, uh, after a sexual assault, it flashes back to the assault, uh, to, to the rape. And it, it also like goes a a level deeper into the like dissociative thoughts, right. Yeah. That, that, that she has, and it kind of comes, it kind of comes back in this kind of like, there's this, uh, uh, rhythm to it. There's this kind of like um there's there's this thing it's it's melodically very basic it's almost like a chant it's a you know what i mean it's almost like a self-soothing kind of thing you can kind of imagine rocking uh and and singing it in a perverse way it's a kind of lullaby um or a kind of like liturgical song uh that uh you know um uh, that uh really you know i don't know really packs an emotional um an emotional uh wallop right and the, the, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, and, and that's even there in the uh, the idea of it as as a liturgical song and as a a mode of of kind of self soothing or kind of you know um def- you know, kind of psychological defense or dissociation is also there in the chorus, right? It was me and a gun and a man on my back, and I sang holy, holy as he buttoned down his pants, right? And that that kind of connection back to that side of kind of liturgy and and kind of as this kind of as well, not even exactly refuge, but again as as um, like a psychological defense mechanism and as as kind of uh, you know almost unintentional kind of response right yeah it's a it's a that that's a detail from the actual from the actual yeah. story of yeah. what she endured that's all, that's it's just almost uh, too unpleasant to recount um yeah but like uh but like but i guess that that that, that existence so it's this interesting thing where like you know how to to, to engage with this right we like like i think and it's interesting that we saved this song for for the last for, for the waning moments because because there, th- this 
and it's 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 there in the album as well right um it's it's the um second to last song right before the 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 title track um and is um and, and you know and this has already been um an intense and emotional album right and i could only imagine listening to this album for the first time with no context and i guess you know it's hard to do this because i think that um you know, again also circulated um as a single before the album's release but there is something about this uh and and we kind of talked about this uh, a few different times um but of being confronted with this song and 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 not being able to uh and and wanting to you know skip the song or not talk about it because of the unpleasantness and 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 that there is this in one's own life in in, in any kind of um, you know, a confrontation of of abuse or or trauma or violence. Um, of and, and that this is a you know, you know, I guess, like, you know, she did not skip this song, so we should also not skip this song. Right. And, right. It, and there's something. I mean, there's something very strong in it. A kind of for a first album or for for a first solo album from an artist yeah. who was sort of young, uh, yeah. though I guess she was thirty or something or thereabouts. Right. Like there is a lot of confidence in sort of forcing you to confront it by not by stripping away the music and just being being sort of left with the voice and the and the the lyrics and the kind of the the conjuring. It's it's also kind of like like a spell to a certain extent that, uh, that, you know, that, that happens. And, and, and this is a powerful from, from someone who can use music to great effect, right. To someone yeah. who is in fact a, a, a virtuoso magician, uh, a musician, <laughs> um, to, to also be a virtuoso magician is, uh, uh, is a feat. And it, you know, I don't know. And it, it also combines a lot of these, um, a lot of these things, the kind of the conflation of, of, uh, religiosity and sex, the, the, the male female dynamic, um, uh, the, the male female, uh, the kind of exploitation, um, dynamic, and also, a, a also a kind of goofiness. And, and like, it's funny the things you think at times like these that yeah. she is a lyric. Um, yeah. yeah, you, you can laugh. It's kind of funny, uh, things you think kinds at times like these. And that like the goofiness is sort of hard is sort of hard one or it's very organic. Um, mm-hmm. it, it emerges as a way of entering the world and not necessarily as a way of, of uh, distracting from the, uh, from the world. And it's, you know, I don't know, this is like an, one of those iconic songs. It, it would have been wrong for us to, to, to skip it in our look at this, in yeah. our look at this record, uh, even in well, these exactly. waning moments. Yeah, no, and, and and it is an iconic song among a set of uh, entirely iconic songs, right? And so we've we have started uh, uh, 1992 uh, and t- uh, 2017 um, in a very strong fashion, um, and 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 set set a quite a hard, high bar. Um, but I think that this is going to be uh, where we'll be for this quarter, and actually the subsequent uh, historical quarters is that we're more and more hitting, um, you know, the, that and we we started to have this transition. Um, uh, at the end of 91 but every episode that goes forward is more and more the um the music of our um pre-adolescence and adolescence right and so right. that, that we're, we're getting more of these uh, albums that you know on the one hand are very kind of strong uh in terms of their influence and importance uh on the uh, uh on, on music in general but of course we think that because they have a strong influence on us as people <laughs> um and so uh, it's it gets um harder and harder harder to um to be a uh a dispassionate social scientist right uh uh, because uh you can't uh you can't be a sociologist of your own heart um and uh and and i think that that will be the interesting experiment that we go on here and there's something though as we kind of go to these things that are um personal to less i know that they uh, that we already have had um you know uh in in the listener base um a lot of different albums that are these kind of favorite albums touchstone albums um so definitely you guys as you um as you listen to these episodes um definitely write in and kind of communicate uh with your kind of experiences with these albums um if there are other 92 93 94 albums um that uh that you want to uh want uh, to have the tft treatment um drop us a line um you can reach us uh on twitter at tft podcast 
podcast. Um, we're on Facebook. We're uh, we're Theory for Turntables. Um, and you can also leave some comments, join the conversation on the show notes at overthinkingit.com. Uh, and the conversation will go on uh, both on Little Earthquakes um, and on the rest of the uh, historical quarter. So next week we'll be back. We'll still be in 1992. And wherever we, uh, we land, whether it's with a piano or with a guitar, just know that we will be keeping it real.